Hey guys, and welcome back to the latest Teach of Tomorrow podcast episode with your co-host, Matt, soon to be Mr. Aldring. And your co-host, Sam, soon to be Mr. Gregory. And we are here to share our journey, experiences, and views on all things education. Hello guys, welcome back to the latest podcast episode, where today we'll be talking about the subject of wider inclusion within education. And today we're delighted to say that we're joined by Professor Damien Page, uh, who is the Dean of Leeds Beckett University School of Education. Uh, Damien, welcome. Thanks for coming on, mate. Um, you know, really excited to, to get you on, on the podcast. And yeah, it would just be great for you to introduce yourself to the listeners, because you'll probably do a lot better job than I will, so... No, good. Thanks for having me on. Love the podcast, big fan and all of that. Yeah, so I'm Damien Page, um, Dean of the School of Education. I've been here since uh, January 2016, so I've come four year, uh, five years in January. Previously um, at Greenwich, um, um, Birkbeck, uh, where else? Yeah, and Lewisham College started. So you've done, done the rounds in, down in the south and now you've come to the north, conquer the north now. That's the, that's the aim, is it? Yeah, it was something like that. I got fed up with the nice weather down south. So I thought, let's go north. I feel like you've not not done yourself that like justice, really, with like your background and things like that. Um, so for our listeners as well, Damon also in 2005, which is quite relevant to what's going on now, especially with the schools going online and things like that. You actually won an award in 2005 for e-learning, um, which is, well, I'd like to firstly find out a little bit more like what was it like for e-learning back then and do you actually feel like it's developed any more since, since then really because it's quite quite a prominent feature right now didn't they have floppy disks back then was that was that long you know what? my first lesson plans and resources were on floppy disk crazy now yeah I, I was at Lewisham College at the time um, and I wanted to create a website I didn't know how but you know I was teaching uh, English originally and so when I started exploring this idea with the head of school uh, at the time, she said, well, there's this new thing called Blackboard coming in. The, the, the college is just bought and it's going to do everything you wanted it to do. And I was a bit upset because I said, no, I want to do a website. I had no idea what Blackboard was. And it's the one we still use at Leeds Beckett now. It's <laughs> changed a, a bit. Um, with a, I don't, when you think, I mean, that was 20 years ago, or, you know, coming up to 20 years ago. And... I'm not sure it's changed that much in terms of e-learning. The technology's certainly got better. But good teaching and learning then online was good teaching and learning now, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's not always as easy as just translating everything you do in a classroom online, but I still think that human interaction is still key. Um, yeah. Certainly the way we're yeah. preparing in the, um, you know, preparing for the year ahead. We've, we've actually increased the amount of interaction because it may be via electronic medium. But that's what students need. That's where real education happens. It's that interaction between uh, between students, but also between the students and, and the academic. There's also something else that's really quite interesting about your uh, your background as well. When you were at the University of London, um, you developed like a lifelong learn, learning scheme for pupils, which actually turned out to be like the biggest network within the country. So yeah, by big. Feel free to big yourself up on here, by the way, because yeah, yeah. I, we so, do it all the time, mate. This is how this is how we thrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah, that was at Birkbeck. Um, yeah, it, it was big. I think we were, it was linking London Lifelong Learning Network, and I think we were the largest at the time. So it's twenty-one universities, nineteen FE colleges, and it was about creating links between them, creating pathways between them. And what was fascinating there was the differences in culture. I mean, now I've worked in FE and HE, you know, I understand the cultures much better. But 
there are struggles trying to get those two sets of um, educators to work together. There certainly were at the time. It got easier, and there were a number of really successful examples, you know, from... Because Lewisham College at the time was one of the, the best colleges in the country, and it linked quite easily to some of the Russell group that were in there, and there, and there was, you know, there's still cultural differences between modern universities like Beckett, um, London South Bank at the time, and the Russell group. There still are, always will be, frankly. Um, but it was nothing insurmountable, and it was it was it was challenging. But you know, we we created a lot of good things. And when we saw the students moving between from good further education colleges into for good universities, and saw the success of those students, yeah, it was worth it. Yeah, and it and obviously you've been building, you've been sort of setting up them them pathways and leading the way on them them particular instances since well, like you say, twenty years ago, and it it kind of leads nicely as to why we got you on on the podcast to talk about wider inclusion education because uh, having gone through the university that you're the dean of uh, we know how how sort of central and pivotal inclusion is to um to sort of the ethos for teacher training and with everything that's going on at the moment and just connecting with you we've seen how important social injustice and things like that is for you as well so just really great time to get you on and, and talk about them not difficult subjects, but important subjects that a lot of people maybe will try and avoid. Whereas us on the podcast and yourself, obviously, we feel like the best way to address these things is is by having a discussion on them. So, just before we get started, if you guys want to follow either us or Damien, then on Twitter, uh, our page is at TFT Pod, and Damien's on Twitter is at Damien underscore Page. You recently see he went viral on Twitter as well. Nice, nice thirty odd thousand tweets there. So he's he's done all right so far. And like I say, if you want to follow us on Instagram, at, te- at the Teachers of Tomorrow is, is where you'll find us. Yeah, so like Matt said in the introduction, obviously, uh, Damien is the, um, the Dean of Education of where we actually go to university. We've been extremely lucky in the fact that we actually did our undergraduate degree for primary education. And I feel like we've actually seen what it is that you're trying to implement into universities, especially with the, the modules and assignments that we had to write about in our uh, primary education degree essentially um so just on that really like would you just tell people just a little bit more what is your role as dean of the university is it's it's kind of being responsible for everything um within a school it's Leeds beckett's got this fantastic structure where each school is kind of semi-autonomous i mean i report to the vice chancellor but i'm responsible for the budget i'm responsible for the, the quality uh, responsible for the re- teaching, the research, absolutely, you know, even the estates, all the HR, it's absolutely everything. And I think that's what makes it, it's certainly the best role I've ever had. You know, being Dean is probably the, the best job in a university because you can implement these kind of things. You know, we don't, we're, we're a school that, at the moment, especially if you look after when George Floyd was murdered, you know, every university, every school was, you know, had a statement out and, but this is nothing new. There's been lip service paid to issues of race, LGBT inclusion, you know, um, SEND inclusion. But it's, it's always lip service. And what we wanted to do is, is create something quite special in the school where it's not just about performing. You know, we don't want to put, we don't perform social justice. We don't perform inclusion. It's part of who we are. It runs through the DNA of the, of the school. It's within, as you will have experienced, it's within the curriculum. It's even within our approach to teaching and learning. It's certainly within our research and enterprise. It just permeates everything we do. Um, and we've created, I mean, the schools, we've had quite a lot of turnover in staff because 
it wasn't right for everyone. Um, not everyone, when I started, you know, nearly five years ago, shared these kind of ideals and they're not here anymore. You know, that's fine. So the staff we have taken on in the, in the last few years, I mean, we've just had some phenomenal academics joining us. And they, they come to us because of this, because of our ethos, because of our passion for inclusion and social justice. And when social justice, you know, it's become a pejorative term now, you know, social justice warrior and uh, the woke generation. Well, so what? You know, yeah. you know, I'd rather be that than the alternative. And yeah. all the academics within the school and our students, I have to say, because we've definitely seen a shift in our student population as well, where people like yourselves come to us because of our values. Now, yeah. when I started you know, back in 2016, School of Education, could it was like a cookie cutter. It looked like every other school of education in the UK. And we just didn't want that because if that's what students want, there are plenty of those to go to. But we are a school that puts this at the heart of everything we do. And so we attract the kind of students who are just as passionate about it as, as we are. So it's, a, it's a, become a very, very special place to work. The rest of the job is about making sure it happens. So, uh, and that's everything. That's about using our finances and the income to make this work happen, to create things like the studentship uh, around race and education who works with Eugema, which is a community group. And again, because of the, the kind of enterprise work we do, we can afford to, to run schemes like that. We can afford to invest in, uh, you know, the Centre for LGBTQ plus inclusion. That's what we do. It's about making things work like that. That's what the Dean does. And, and do you feel that your previous experiences uh, going through uh, in London, the, the universities, I saw that you did a lot of work with social enterprise. Do you feel like that business side of things, that experience that you've had really helped you flourish in the role you're in now and sort of lead you to implement and influence these changes because you can manage the business side of things as well as the education side? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I, I, my first degree was in English and American literature. Uh, I was first generation to university. No, I didn't even know anyone else had been to university. So it was all a, a massive learning experience for me. And after graduation, I worked in sales. I worked in advertising, worked in recruiters, a recruitment consultant as well. And those kind of skills, that kind of the business sense, the entrepreneurialism, you know, they've been essential. They really are essential to what I do now. And a lot of academics kind of shy away from it. They see the business side of universities as you know the thing you don't talk about. It's the neoliberalism, it's managerialism, all of that. The fact is, if you can do that well, then you can make the rest of the things happen. So, going through spreadsheets of accounts is not the most fascinating thing in the world, you know, but it makes everything else we do happen. And on that, then, because both me and Matt obviously been through the university and we've experienced like the incredible like lectures and the diverse diversity of, of lectures that you that, that you offer and things like that and yeah we were really lucky with the the lectures that we had on our um, primary education degree and, and the level they, they were at but just if you could like niche it down like what what are your main goals as the university when it comes to training us as future teachers like you, you've said about like your your values that's come from your experiences like wanting to have a diverse range of, of staffing or you're wanting people to fit into the university's principles and values. Otherwise, they simply they, they, they just won't fit in. And, and you've said before that they, they have just moved on. So what what is it that you, you want us to be, essentially? We've got one principle. I mean, we've got the usual, you know, every school will have a strategy, every university does. But we've got one principle that we work to, and that's that everything we do is to improve the life chances of children. 
absolutely everything. If you took everything else, every other bit of paperwork that mentions vision, strategy, uh, whatever, take that all away. Everything we do comes down to that. Now, you have to take an inclusive approach because the it's the children whose life chances are are stunted, are um, you know, uh, the, it's the children who can't reach their full potential because of structural inequalities, um, because of racism, because of other forms of discrimination, because of issues of class. Those are the kind of children that we work for. You know, that's the we we want we we take on students like yourselves who want to go out there and and do want to do that because if you're not if you don't want to improve the life chances of all children, then don't become a teacher. You yeah. know, go and work go and work in a bank. You know, work become a lawyer, whatever it is you want to do, but don't become a teacher. And we're quite open about that. And I know that we've had eyebrows raised in the past where I've said those kind of things publicly, and they said, "Well, well you but your stu- students won't come here if you if you take that." It's not true. You know, our student numbers have increased exponentially. We've, you know, we've our inc- student income's gone up forty percent in four years. You know, because the people are passionate about these things. They don't just want another generic experience. They want to come here and do the kind of work and work with the kind of staff that you won't find in other schools of education. Yeah, and I think we've definitely benefited from that because, well, certainly me, like I didn't get into any other uni apart from Beckett because, frankly, I. Had, because I hadn't worked in schools for a few years, like I didn't have that experience, or I hadn't just come from college, let's say, straight to uni. All the all the sort of Russell Group unis that, that I'd applied for didn't didn't give me the chance. Didn't want didn't want to know, and thankfully it gave me the chance. And since then, I've kind of just grown to sort of share the same passions as like yourself. You know, have that sort of wider social uh, aspect of education rather than just maybe the teaching side of, you know, your English and maths. And of course that's all really important, but yeah, I think for me personally, it's kind of a, it's an ethos that's really resonated with me as a teacher. And it's, it's sort of made me question where I want to go later down the line, because I see all these fascinating projects that the university are doing in regards to, um, you know, the race and decolonization in, in masters, you've got LGBTQ modules you're including, you've got, uh, obviously a high SEND, mental health, as we've had Glazard on, talk about that. And all these other projects that you do research-wise, it's kind of making me look at it thinking, well, I do fancy a bit of that myself, you know, in, in five, 10 years time, once I've had that classroom experience, I think, because you do need to have that. Like you say, you need to know how to do everything because it's going to benefit you later down the line. But I think just looking at the projects that, that you're putting on at the university at the moment, is kind of, it really does resonate with me that that social side of things to teach in. And this is a school of education. Yes. You know, I mean, we're fantastic at producing really talented teachers, you know, which is our employment rates um, in, as teachers, 95, 96%, something like that. So schools really want our teaching graduates. We've got to be about more than just teaching. Like you say, teaching itself is not just about what works in the classroom. And if you look at some of the national agenda at the moment, that tends to dominate. To the, to the detriment of everything, looking at the wider social systems, for example, looking at wider system, systemic inequalities. Yeah. You, you have to know about those and, and to know what works. Because if Just, what works in, you know, leafy Surrey is not going to work in inner city London necessarily. It might do, but you need to, you need to understand the, the context as well as the, the pedagogy. The geographical location is so important, isn't it? I think yeah. before you just jump in, Sam, that geographical knowledge of, of, sort of demographics of certain areas and and 
like say social class and that sort of things makes such a big difference to education, particularly at primary level. And I think, yeah, like I say, that does get overlooked and it is dominated by just stats and facts at the moment. I was just going to add in, just following on from what, what you said about the, the ethos and things like that, Matt, and what it's done for you, like personally, like the podcast has really just come about because of what we've learned through the university and wanting to be open and honest about like issues really within education and, and talking to people like yourself, like Jonathan Glazard, to make people more aware and actually have conversations that actually matter that are not just based on the core subjects, like actual things that actually make a difference to children and their actual lives in the future potentially. So this is this is why we want to use this platform in, in the best way uh, possible really to yeah, try and encourage that and try and reflect your ethos and what we've learned onto here. Mm. And I think it, it actually leads nicely because you mentioned, we've talked about uh, various courses and modules that you've implemented recently um, going forward to the next academic year. Why do you feel that now is a really good time to, to make them changes and shift that focus um, so to a more social education, uh, teacher training environment? I think if, if you look at what's happening, I mean, you're both on Twitter. Twitter's a, you know, it's not the real world, but it, in, in many ways, it's a microcosm of, of what's happening, you know, and of what by the sense. And everything's just becoming so polarised. You know, you take around um, uh, Black Lives Matter is a, is a perfect example. You know, you've got one side that, you know, accusing the other side of being, you know, radical Marxists who want to bring down capitalism. Um, and, and, and the actual works is getting lost mm. you know, the, the, the whole point of something like black lives matters is getting lost because it, it's so polarized now now you know i have seen us accused on um on uh, twitter of you know brainwashing our students and they, I, I tweeted about this a little while ago and you know i, I really feel sorry for you know the, the, the poor students i mean who, what are they talking about you know you you're rational human beings who make a choice about what you you know come in we don't brainwash you We've got students, our graduates will go out and work in really, really ultra strict schools. I won't mention any names, but we know the sort of ones in, in the region that we're talking about that are real zero tolerance, not warm, strict or any of the other terms for it. They are zero tolerance and our students thrive there, but it suits some of them. Others will just couldn't bear to work in that environment. Others want to work in a, a far more, um, a far more supportive you know, school where, you know, they use like trauma informed approaches, you know, even therapeutic approaches in, in some of the schools our students go into. It, we're just trying to get, a, we're just trying to prepare students for what they're going out into because you go into a class, into a staff room and I've got, I've been in plenty of staff rooms and you will get the closet racists. You get the ones who, you know, uh, will talk disparagingly about, uh, about trans issues, you know, turfs, whatever it happens to be. And this is what we're preparing our students to go into. And our students are fantastic because they are critical thinkers. They've encountered not just out, you know one side of things; they've encountered the you know the whole debates that are going on around these vital issues. And they're prepared, and they're thinking, and they're very very professional about how they do things. But to have uh, a teacher training system, and there are there are universities that do this, where it's just just about what works that these th things won't even come in, or it might be a 15 minute online um, session about uh, unconscious bias, you know, that kind of thing. So we just think we're just taking a different approach. It needs to be integrated. So we're just, 
some people have said, you know, you shouldn't do it. You know, you shouldn't do it. There shouldn't, politics shouldn't come into teaching. But what is, what's the point of teaching if, if you're not going to want to make change to the system? The system, yeah. the system that's in place, which is obviously not delivering, like you said, the whole ethos is to, to give every child the best opportunity to, to thrive and succeed. And everyone knows within education and the vast majority of people outside of education will, will know that the system is not doing that and it's not offering a platform for children to, to succeed in, in society. So why... It's baffling to me how making them changes to a more socially focused uh, ethos to your future educators is is deemed as a negative. Like I guess people just don't like change, so they no, you know, they, they, they're still this thing around, and, and so there's a certain group of teachers on Twitter, for example, that, that hate university education departments because they think we're all, you know, we are all lefties and Marxists. We're really not, you know. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we don't think that education isn't political. Education is political. And always will be political, you know. Yeah. And it's the ones who try and drive out the, the political nature of education that are most against schools of education. I know a couple of Tories in my school. I won't out them. I, won't <laughs> them. I, don't, I don't want to say it. that's up to them. But I know who they are, and you know we work with them. Yeah. Well, I, I just think well, it, it, the, the the system, the national curriculum is is derived from the education secretary, which is a political party. So how is it not political? That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's, you, you've outlined the, the importance of like, obviously us future teachers going through university and becoming aware of like social injustice and things like that. Um, and you've sort of outlined the benefits really for like, well, what, what are the, the benefits for future generations within education? If there is, more of us going through like the university system where we are becoming more aware, but also as well, do you feel like there's been a shift within young people like us caring more about these social injustices and want to learn uh, about them more in our university degrees and courses? Absolutely. I think there's been a massive shift um, in, and you know, it's in students in general, but certainly amongst younger students, the ones who are coming straight from college or schools, um, it's, they just come from a different environment. They have a, they're very aware of the kind of debates that are going on, and you know they they will come with uh, their own biases, their own opinions, their own perspectives on things. But yeah, I mean certainly they're certainly aware of the wide range of debates around any of these issues. But I, I think that's healthy, and I think that's what a university should be. A, a university should be about making students uncomfortable sometimes, especially if you're going into teaching. Because teaching for a large majority of the time is sometimes uncomfortable. You know, you'll be presented with behaviours that's uncomfortable. Um, you'll be presented with ideas that are uncomfortable. It's becoming comfortable with that, you know. So you could, so you are always, it's like being a scout really, you know, you're always prepared, that sort of thing. And I think that's what we do. We, we're trying to prepare our students for, for as much as we can to be the best teachers they can. I think interesting on that note that you said about like young people, like students now coming to university and they have their own views that have been formed and that they are well informed sort of thing. Do you feel like social media, like for example, Twitter has like a, a lot to do with that because everything now is out there. Platforms like Twitter, it, it does cause a lot of conversation and debates between a, a lot of people and a lot of people do get invo involved with things like that. Do you think that that has maybe helped with the, the recent change or i think it's responsible for the for people being aware of debates i'm not sure it's helped 
Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, look at every summer, the, you know, on Edge Twitter, it's just, there's always some, there's always a row about something that will last weeks and weeks. And I can't remember what the one was this year. A couple of years ago, it was around uh, IQ and race. And that one went on for three or four weeks. Um, but everyone, at the end, no one really changed their uh, position. The, the, the two sides become more entrenched and there was a few people in the middle saying uh, you're always arguing for nuance and then everyone just attacks the people saying nuance. I mean, if you were use the term nuance, so you're sitting on the fence, you know, that's that's how Twitter is. It, it's just, it doesn't work with nuance at all. It almost polar, adds to the polarisation, like you're saying, because you end up getting more each of one side and then like the people that kind of can see both sides are kind of just ousted like you say in the middle <laughs> it's like well you can you can what's wrong with understanding p- different perspectives uh, understanding it's similar to politics you know what's wrong with understanding a particular party's perspective compared to another party's perspective you know, there's no it's no different to doing that as as any any subject and i think encouraging them debates in universities are so important for changing like just changing them views and almost bringing people together because it allows young adults to understand more than one side to, to, to an argument. Yeah, because the sides on Twitter are essentially become caricatures. You know, the, if, you, if you're a traditionalist teacher, you know, you, you're an arch-Tory, you're neoliberal, you know, you're the neo-right. If, you know, if you're, the, if you're on the other side, if you class it, you're a progressive, um, you know, you're a bedwetting liberal, you know, it's just, <laughs> or woke army or whatever it happens to be. It just becomes characterizations rather than any any real debate going on at the end. Yeah. But I think I think increasingly young people are savvy to that. I think if you from my perspective, what I've seen on Twitter, I think it's the older people that become more entrenched in these positions. Um, well, well, they've had they've had longer they've had a longer time to to have their views cemented as as it were. So yeah. if they've had a, if they've had the same view, I have the same conversation with my parents sometimes because when I used to live in the south you'll you'll probably back me up being a southerner you might not but very you know very very tory and i was i used to i used to be like that and come to university and it's a different different experience you you learn different things and i think it's for me having come through that transition like just being able to debate things like that in providing an environment in schools from an earlier age i think would be so beneficial to the education system because children children will be coming through with far greater awareness of, of these social issues that we're talking about. And once they start being aware of them, then they can start making them informed decisions um, about, about these issues such as racial inequality, about these issues such as LGBTQ representation. Um, so I think, you know, just providing that environment is so important. And for, for young teachers going through, well, I say young, 29 but i'd say young uh <laughs> for new yeah, teachers yeah, for yeah. new teachers going through uh, i think it's important to learn themselves we talk about subject knowledge and we talk about learning things like english and maths and science subject knowledge you know in my opinion we should be learning subject knowledge on social issues equally as much because they're going to contribute more to society than than the likes of with technology you can learn english and maths with technology it's there it's, it's in your hands but having these discussions about social and injustices is is far more difficult to have over on on twitter or on instagram you know and i think it's when pedagogy starts being attached to or different styles of teaching and learning start being attached to political positions i think that's that's when things start breaking down 
you know, um, if you'd have seen me teaching when I was in FE, I was probably, people would describe me as, you know, a trad, a traditionalist, because it was about, you know, we did group work, obviously, but it was very much about knowledge. I was teaching in the inner city, and I'm very much of the opinion that the best way, and my students who then went on to, to university, including Russell Group institutions, you know, we were, I was teaching primarily children that have been failed by secondary system who came in and FE was the kind of second chance sector as it's, you know, the, the cliche goes. But we were, you know, we were, I was teaching them the same curriculum on a youth access course that we were, than you would in A-level English. So we're talking about the history of the English language. It was very knowledge rich. Um, it was sometimes didactic, you know, they were, even used rows, you know, all of those kind of things. And at the time, a lot of my colleagues in FE were saying, they shouldn't be doing that. And I got graded down in internal inspections for not doing enough group work or oh, you talked for more than five minutes. It's rubbish. But that's not, you know, I'm, it's not a political position. That's a way of teaching. Mm. The same as for those people who, you know, want to use uh, or use discovery learning, for example, or problem-based learning. It doesn't make, mean they're, you know, labor or left wing. It's when the, it's that that creates the problem where different types of pedagogy, I mean, you use what's right for the, the children you're teaching. Or the adults, for that matter, it's not about a political position, but the two things just become conflated, particularly on Twitter, and that's the issue. Um, and actually, brings us nicely on to the next question, really, because I know we've touched on your vision for the education. You've mentioned that uh, briefly with within your role at the moment and the, the ethos going through the university around wider inclusion, um, social injustice, etc. Do you feel that other universities are sharing the same passion and ethos as you, or do you feel that you are kind of going solo with it at the moment? Because you've talked on, you've talked about the word kind of being branded out, but nothing really being done about it. So do you feel like that's the same with, with what you do in university wise? I, I don't think there's been as much progress in other schools of education that, that I would like to see. I still see the same types of jobs advertised. I still see the same types of research being done. Well, there's anything wrong with that, but you know, I'm not saying that any of that should go, but there's nothing being added to, yeah. you know, I mean, we God, it was what four, four years ago, we created the um, UK's first professor of race and education post and which was surely take to start off with now um, professor Vinnie Lander, you know, since then, and I, I think back to the kind of work we've done and I've just, uh, you know, we did the first UK's first uh, conference around supporting trans children. And there's still uh, really only seems to be us that's doing this kind of work, or at least doing it where, where we're doing it very publicly. And I think I, I do know of academics in other schools of education that are doing this kind of work. I even know of academics who have been told not to do this kind of work um, or not to, if they're going to do it, don't be associated with their university or with their school of education. This happens out there why? Um, why do you think that is why do you think they're getting this this feedback and why are people sort of being told not to do it um i think you know there are some people um some deans some directors um who see it as a, uh, inherently risky you know they don't want the, what we call the i mean you start calling it like the diversity effect you know a dance you know that attracts what twenty five thousand complaints from ofcom you know, and they think that if they start doing work around race or around trans issues, because, you know, society will sometimes see this as potentially problematic areas, let's not do it or let's not talk about it. You know, or we're a school of education. We're about teacher training. We need to focus on that 
or I might not get invited to any more DFE advisory groups or that kind of thing. You start seeing a lot of protectionism where people are more worried about their, their CVs, particularly deans and directors sometimes, than they are about doing the work that matters. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, potentially some of this kind of work, it would limit um, who's going to employ you if you do it some of the times. But again, I think me and most of my colleagues wouldn't want to work somewhere like that. We wouldn't want to work where this kind of work isn't valued. Um, so, yeah, people are risk averse uh, in universities. I was just saying, but something that you touched on earlier about, like, because you are public about what you teach us, for example, and it's backed up by your employability stats and actually schools actually look towards us for wanting to hire us. Why, why do universities, because if these deans, for example, are obviously self-conscious and whatnot and what, what might not come about or what might come about, surely having those stats at the end of it saying like, oh, but we get 96% employment, surely that's better than having like the low percentages that, that they might be getting. Look, yeah, I, I can't understand it. I can't understand, you know, surely to God, there shouldn't be any knowledge that, you know, should be kept so secret that, you know, future teachers shouldn't be experiencing it. Yeah. It's just, but again, you know, people in universities are often risk averse. You know, it's, um, it can be a conservative sector with a small C. But then schools are no different. I mean, we've just launched um, uh, schools anti-racism award. You know, we knew we're not going to, I mean, when we launched the mental health one, we've had like sort of 900, nearly a thousand schools nationally and internationally taking that award. We knew with something like anti-racism, you're not going to get loads. We knew we wouldn't be inundated because there are some head teachers who think, yes, we need to do this. This is important. I'm going to make you know, this important for the children and the parents and the families that we work with. And so they will take that, they, but it takes a certain amount of bravery to do that. Um, there are others who say, no way, because I don't want parents phoning me up saying, what's this Black Lives Matter stuff? What do you mean white supremacy? That kind of thing. Trans, when we held the trans uh, conference, I remember speaking to some of my colleagues, we, we were always going to do it because we were, we know that schools are experiencing difficulties with children expressing uh, interest in transitioning or actually wanting uh, very clear that they want to transition. And schools often lack the expertise in these situations when there's very little government guidance so we knew we wanted to do this conference, but we, we seriously had to think about things like security for the first time. Because if you see in some trans events, you know, they're the kind of really awful protests against them. You know, um, we, we had to start thinking about that kind of thing when we hold these kind of events. Mm-hmm. And again, that would, put, because they're contentious sometimes in some sections of society, that will put off other schools, I think. But we're, you know, we think the work needs doing, so we're going to do it. It's great to be, it's, for our point of view, it's great to be part of a university that is prioritising these things because they're so prevalent in society now. Um, and they are minority groups for a reason. You know, they are a minority, but with the exposure, uh, like we touched on social media, with the exposure that's out there now, there are more and more people are feeling more confident and more comfortable about, um, you know, going through transition, for example, or, or discussing these topics. And that's kind of why we're here to talk about them because the subject of trans, for example, things that are gen- gender equality, I, I find it would be finding fascinating to talk about just because my little knowledge on it, you know, like it's a subject that like, you know, what I personally wouldn't know a lot about. So 
without that training, without being exposed to that conversation, when I'm teaching, I might come across that, like, I wouldn't know what to do. So it's, yeah. I think it's just, it's just surprising for me that more uh, universities, colleges, even schools in, in positions that can sort of bridge, bridge these conversations just aren't taking it upon themselves to do it. I feel, I feel like as well, Mike, what, what you're saying, like, as well, a lot of this is to do with the fact that people are so uncomfortable having these conversations when actually the only way to change it is by having the conversations, like to change the stigma. But if you don't know something, like this just applies in general to us anyway. If we're quite happy if we, if we don't know something, we will happily ask someone and like uh, explain like, what, what do we need to do. It's the exact same with these conversations. Don't don't feel uncomfortable about it. The fact that if you ask about it, you, you are making a difference because you are making a difference to yourself by actually educating yourself. How many times have I asked you this week how to use OneNote? I still can't do it. <laughs> Paul, Paul Ogilvy's going to be looking at me like, God, what's he doing? Is he doing any work? I still can't work it. It's taken me two weeks. <laughs> but, you know. It's about creating a, a climate where you can have these discussions and not feel as though you can say the wrong thing. I mean, where I grew up, I mean, I, and I tell people this, and I still don't, it sounds really stupid now, but I, I didn't speak to anyone of colour, uh, anyone who's, any person who was black, until I was 20. 20. You know, I from didn't... London? I, no, no, I was from Kent. Oh, uh, okay. Medway Town. Yeah, yeah. And is an ex-naval area, um, dockyard closed down, very white working class. And... You know, I, I think if someone had come out and talked about being trans in the area I grew up in, it wouldn't have ended well, you know. People just wouldn't have been even had those conversations. And I remember back, you know, it was, it was just that kind of place. So it's been an incredible learning experience for me and my colleagues. But we are in a place where we, you know, we're in a school where we can have these discussions. And if people say the wrong thing, you know, they're not mortified. We learn from it. You know, we, we actually ask, well, what is, what is the, the best term to use? Um, because it's not always easy and you need a common vocabulary to start exploring the, the kind of issues that accompany these things. And, and you've spoke, spoken about, obviously, creating a diverse and inclusive school of education. And you've, you've outlined the, the challenges that you've had faced from like schools or like other universities as well. Has it like any of those factors, like have they surprised you, like, for example, with other universities or were you expecting that or was there something else that you maybe not touched on that has completely surprised you as to why um, it's been a challenge to like make this a real prominent feature like across the board? Um, it's the, I found the kind doing this kind of work is the little things. There are silences that um, if you suggest like we've got a, we're advertised, just advertised for a pastoral officer of the students of colour. And when, and you go through the usual processes and there's a silence when you tell people sometimes the job title and it's, and you can see the, the cogs were in the process in thinking, what does that mean? Is that the right term to use? Does that mean they're only going to support students of color? Uh, and you can, you can see it. And there's the silences. And you, you, My cogs are turning now to be fair, so. <laughs> we come across it a lot. And so you have to, because it's not just about any, university or any organization you're doing this kind of work it's not just about students learning it's not just about academics learning it's every part of the university needs to learn and have these debates and have these discussions because that's how things change but you just need to sometimes be bold enough to make the changes it's not always easy and, and you, you've got to become comfortable with the silences if you're sitting yeah. in a 
committee and you say you, you start talking about racism when everyone else has avoided using the term racism you have to be uncomfortable <laughs> you know you have to be comfortable with other people's discomfort sometimes do you feel that there is going to be more of a change from more universities or do you like you've said about university and stuff do you feel feel like that is the current issue right now with not enough people maybe promoting the awareness of social injustice and having talks talks about them with with their students for example i think it's getting better university as a sector changes incredibly slowly i think education full stop probably does when you think about schools as well so it's about having enough people just keep grinding away um and sometimes the, this kind of work does feel like a grind you know but you have to you just have to get through it to be honest and, and you do start seeing changes and you do start um you start seeing the difference it makes and, yeah. and i think that's what keeps you going and you, you go back to the grind again and sometimes you feel like you you keep going back to the beginning but you just keep you, you've got to keep pushing forward i mean surely with the the courses and modules that you've recently been implementing into the, the teacher training and the amount of new staff you're hiring and, and the jobs you're advertising. I'm, I'm assuming that that must give you some reward because when you're, you're advertising for these roles and people are applying for them with, and like you were saying earlier, your kind of your colleagues and your faculty are all sort of similar minded. That's, that must be sort of nice in a way and some sort of realization that change is happening because you're getting similar sort of minded people to you in one environment yeah it is and it's become it is a joy it's a joy to go to work and work with my colleagues because you know i've worked with some fantastic people um and we're, we're not i don't think this is sound as though we all think the same we're certainly there's no group think where we are yeah, yeah. and even yeah. on issues like race you know people will have different opinions and will approach it from a different perspective and and so that debate's healthy um, and we build teams that are diverse for that very reason, because we don't want everyone thinking the same. If you start getting group think, and that's the death of a university, it's the death of a school of education, certainly. What, what I've found, I mean, it's funny, someone told me, I've heard this a couple of times now, people keep saying, oh, Leeds Beckett are putting out a lot of jobs. School of Education, they've always got, it must be a terrible place to work. It must mean everyone's losing. <laughs> I've heard this from enough people now to know it must be true. <laughs> the conversations are happening. And, and I kept thinking, should I put something else? Should I react to this? Well, no. We, we're doing, you know, we're employing a lot of people because we spend our money on new staff. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't spend it on my travel allowance. We, the senior team don't fly off on, you know, really nice uh, overseas trips. The professors will pay, more than pay their own way. And they generate a lot of income. And what we do is we spend it on two things: we spend it on research and we spend it on new staff. But because of the new, because of the values we have, it's the different type of staff we're advertising for. So we will advertise for. Um, there's one out a lecturer in inclusive PE because we don't want just want someone who's good at PE in primary. We want someone who can think about, you know, how children with disabilities, for example, can be properly can properly participate in physical education. Yeah. yeah, most other schools of education will just go out for a lecture in PE. Well, that's the difference between us and them. You know, we will think, be thinking about it all the time. Um, you do it through job titles. We've got another lecturer in race and education because we want people to, you know, applicants to bring lived experience to this and to focus on decolonization, for example. Yeah. So you have to think of as many ways of diversifying your, your academic base as possible. And yeah, clearly that's in, in the roles that, you, that you're advertising. I think it's, you know, testament to, to the direction that the uni's trying to go is to, 
to get that experience coming in from all from all walks and all all areas um, and it again it kind of leads nicely really because moving forward you've touched on what you guys are trying to do and what your sort of main aim is as the dean um, in, in a, the position you are which is great but what do you think needs to change in in the education system as a whole uh, to create a socially inclusive environment for teacher trainers? Yeah, that's a question. You I, know, worded that, I worded that well, to be fair, didn't I? I mean, that's kind of right. Came <laughs> out hey, well, mate, to be fair. He's, pra- he's, he's practised that about six times before he came on with you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think more than anything, and, and this is going back to education being political, I, you know, I would love to see education in this country being run by non-politicians, you know, and I'm not the only one. There's lots of people from all political persuasions who think the same are involved in education. Just take it away from politicians, you know, get a range, a real wide diversity of experts, you know, really expert teachers, expert head teachers, expert academics, expert parents involved who, you know, who have seen it, not, you know, just to bring together as wide a range of expertise as possible. So that it can include everything from, um, you know, the insights from cognitive science, for example, uh, as well as um, the impact of trauma. It can talk about inclusion for, you know, uh, around race, LGBTQ, um, SEND, and just bring together the best of practitioners, the best expert practitioners, and just to take it away from politicians. Not that education will stop being political, it is a political act in many ways, but to take it away from politicians, um, that would, you know, that would be quite something. I can't see it ever happening, but that's the utopia that I live for. I actually did my dissertation on uh, like curriculum ideology and an international comparison with Finland, the England and South Africa. And that's exactly what Finland did in 2014. I think it was basically changed their whole um, ethos brought loads of academics in, loads of head teachers, loads of teachers, parents as well, came together as like and created a, like say an assembly of, of professionals. And then that they devised the new curriculum from that. And I think, yeah, the so well, their curriculum is, is so holistic focused. They tackle a lot of social issues like, uh, like multiculturalism. They talk about climate change, uh, the evolution of technology, these are all like central to their curriculum ethos as an education system. And I think that's just an example of what you've just said there. You know, if that, if that happened in the UK, I think you would find that that would be the case because it would definitely move away from an academic focus and a results focus and more towards, I personally think a holistic focus of of a curriculum. It's funny because if you look at most like public sectors, I mean, that utopia could probably apply to most things like if you look at the house house sector for example that 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 would be perfect like not having politics involved with that i mean given the current circumstances that's what's going on sort of thing like having a non-political stance on health would Mm. benefit this country massively and it's this exact same like you've been saying about education i actually just want to ask you david we've done we've talked about lots of different social uh justices and lots of different social issues which you're currently addressing at the moment through university 
Any chance of one in uh, sustainability or climate change for coming around anytime soon? Because I would, uh, I would love to get involved in that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I think we, yeah, it's certainly something we're we're trying to embed. If you take, uh, we've got a new course. Um, uh, it's not teacher education. We a oh God, innovation and skills for social change. There's a course that is really focusing on those kind of things. Sustainability is at the core of that. Now, again, it's just an example. Example of what we do differently. We it was completely co-created. So we've got we work with a social enterprise called Doing Social, um, who spent over a year working with community groups, um, working with local authorities, um, working with uh, parents. Every kind of cross section you can think of to create this. So instead of us as a university saying here's a course for, for our community. What do you think? We're saying, well, what do you, to the community, what do you need from us? What should a university be doing? What should a course that wants to achieve social change do for you? And that's the difference. I mean, it's, it's a long and expensive process, but the course is just incredible now. And it will have sustainability and social cohesion embedded completely throughout. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and the environment, we, it's probably, yeah, we do need to do more on it, I think. Um, I only say it because I'm biased because that's just something that I really care about. So I just, as an yeah. idea, I was just like, I thought I'd feed you that one on the podcast. And then if, Absolutely. if you chuck it in there, I'll take a little bit of credit, but that's fine. And I think <laughs> the younger students that are coming through are really very, very conscious of that. You know, that's been a real generational shift, I think, since in my 20 years in education. We are young, just the 29 year olds. Yeah. We are young. <laughs> not much longer. <laughs> not, not long, not long. The big three old, mate. That's what's happening to oh, you. Don't, uh, don't tell me that. <laughs> well, at the end of uh, our podcast, each, each episode, we do a CPD section. Now, obviously, we've been incredibly lucky in the fact that we've actually had you on uh, this week. So, our CPD um, this week, we've actually chosen two papers that one of the papers actually relates to one of the topics that we have spoken about with Professor Jonathan Glazan and also between us two as well, because we find it really important and especially as training teachers. So the first CPD recommendation that uh, we'll recommend to you guys is from Damien himself, which was released in 2017. And it's, it's like, it's, it's just a, it's a small article. It's really easy to read uh, actually. It's called five things school schools can do to help pupils uh, mental health. And I'll just give you a quick, quick overview. And then I've got uh, a question on it as well uh, for Damien. So, Really, um, the five key factors are to start talking about it is the f- first thing, creating a safe space in school, support for all. So that means not just for pupils, but for teachers as well. And this is something that uh, Professor Jonathan Glazad um, outlined as well about creating a positive school environment. The other thing was about implementation of training. And actually as well, the final point that you made was actually it goes further than school into the community. Now, you've spoken about Leeds Beckett being more than just a university and how much it works within the community and like you've just said you've, you've spoken about the community and like why it is that that they want you to do essentially within the university um so from like a university perspective how do you push out like that supportive network of uh, mental health essentially but also as well within a school how do you um spread that into the community as well yes i mean there's a lot of talk about civic universities um and it's becoming a real focus of the government. And Leeds Beckett is without a doubt a civic university. You know, we get a lot of students from our community, but we do an incredible amount. 
and the, the vice chancellor last year did a, a project to kind of bring together all the kind of community work that all those different schools and the different subject areas did. And it's just a phenomenal amount. I mean, just a completely phenomenal amount. I think with something like mental health in the community, um, it's things, it's what we're going to focus on. We've now got the Department of Languages working with us. And I've just been, we had a meeting with um, the head of the department. And there's a lot of older people who are, who might feel socially excluded and do report loneliness who come and take languages courses. And I'd never even put the connection between part-time languages, learning it for pleasure rather than necessarily for a qualification, but the importance of that in community cohesion and community and, and mental health and wellbeing. And, uh, you know, I've since been doing a lot of reading that education in itself, just participating is a real, um, you know, really predisposes people to good mental health and, and positive wellbeing. And if you start adding that with that, that sense of community cohesion um, and trying to bridge the generational gap, for example, which is, you know, there are a lot of people who are older and they're, you know, getting older and they start losing that community uh, feeling, the, the community cohesion, the, the participation. So the role of universities in that where, and again, on some of our courses, we're starting to make them open to the community. So for, for no charge. Um, if we're going to do master classes, we'll open them up because that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't. Yes, we, we you know degrees are important, masters are important, PhDs are important, absolutely. But universities have to be more than that. You know, they are about education in a wider sense for a university like us and for a school like us. So I, th I think that sense of well-being gained from learning for pleasure, for its own sake, I, you know, I think that's too easily neglected. Sounds brilliant, to be fair, and uh, and it kind of ties into what you did back uh, when you were at Burbeck, was it, with the lifelong learning, similar sort of thing, you know, just just teaching people to be lifelong learners and not get bored of learning because, like I say, language learning, I think so underrated in, in England particularly because of globalisation, you know, we should really be prioritising learning a modern foreign language as a, you know, pivotal part of, of, of education because you go to Europe and you go to everywhere around the world, they're all multilingual you talk to him you're just, just blown away it's just arrogance like, though isn't it well it is yeah. it, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's arrogance but because of because of globalization it's, it's almost forced yeah, yeah. on arrogance yeah. because we don't need it well technically we don't need it you know and i think that's that's such a sub, it's definitely a subject we'll cover in the future because i know both me and sam are huge on just modern languages being learned and it's definitely something i wish i'd done when i was younger that's for sure <laughs> uh, Especially yeah. the amount of traveling you've done recently, anyway. Like, mad. Uh, but we're getting off tangent anyway. Let's go back to the CPD. <laughs> and the, yeah, the, the other uh, paper that is really, really fascinating, and it kind of it ties in with some of the uh, aspects and issues that we've we've spoken about today about white inclusion, and it's uh, the white lines and institutional racism hiding behind unconscious bias, and that again was written by yourself and Shirley Tate back in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a really good read. It just outlines like pretty much examples and stats of unconscious bias and actually how like just simply by making people aware of that bias or simply talking about it can actually have like a huge change on like um, the hiring or non-hiring of, of people. Like it's really fast. I'm not going to go into like the stats too much because we'll, we'll just end up speaking about it for ages but i really really recommend people uh, go out and read this because it's a really good read and just on that as well like 
obviously it is about unconscious bias sort of thing and you did it back in in 2018 do you still feel like there is a lot of unconscious bias within like i know it's only two years on sort of thing but again do you feel like there's a shift happening or is there still a lot more work that needs needs to be done essentially there's a, there's a lot more unconscious bias training i'll give you that the, you know because it's still seen by a lot of people as a, this magic bullet and the panacea for you know institutionalized racism um and it's still being packaged and it's still becoming an industry where people are a lot of, making a lot of money out of this, you know, various claims it makes. Problem about conscious bias, and the, the biggest thing, it was a fascinating article to work on because it, it, it emerged out of an email conversation with me and Shirley. And it was literally, I said, I made some comment about unconscious bias and we just started and it just developed like that. And that's what's magical about this school is you start having these conversations and they grow into an output like this. Yeah, no, I'm digressing. Um, <laughs> it happens. When you get excited, it happens. <laughs> yeah. The problem with unconscious bias is you can only be unconsciously biased once. If you're then made aware of it, then you have to act. Now, if that was true, then with the amount of unconscious bias training that is around in organisations, um, in all sectors, no one will be biased anymore. That's the point. It, it stops at the point where, say someone accepts that, oh, God, yeah, you're right. I, I do discriminate against... And I say women, for instance, and I, I hadn't realized that was my unconscious bias talking. But then what? But then what do you do? And that's the point where unconscious bias training stops, to be honest. It makes you aware of it, but it's, the onus is then on you of, of suddenly, you know, magically become aware of the bias that you didn't know, which I don't buy, you know. But anyway, that's, that's the, the way the, the, the argument goes. What do you do then? How do you then stop being biased? Because if you're suddenly conscious of it, then you're consciously biased. Then you are discriminating. So, you know, then it, the onus is on the person to, to manage that and to overcome it. You, you outlined as well that these training packages, there's a lot of money being made out of them. Is it implemented in, in universe, like wherever, essentially? I won't, I won't isolate universities, just wherever, really. Is it, is it a ticking box ex- exercise for, for institutions or things like that? And is, is the training good? This is what um, Sam wants. He's just digging for these sort of things. This is Sam and his element. Um, I, I think it has its place. It can be a starting point, but if it's seen as the starting and end point, that's when it's really problematic. Yeah. Um, it, it's certainly no cure for anything. And like a lot of these things, there's, there'll always be people who try and make money out of these things. You know, you look at some of the books around anti-racism, there's a plethora of books around anti-racism that's come out recently. Variable quality, you know, but... The problem is there's always there's an industry. It becomes everything becomes an industry, and unconscious bias is no different than that. Damien, absolute joy to get you on the podcast today. We've covered all sorts of topics ranging from you and your career, and obviously the university. What great work the university is doing, trying to tackle these social injustices. Uh, we've got a little bit of political, which people might not like, but I know that we definitely do like that on here. So great for us um, and again we've touched on some really difficult subjects which for a lot of people might be difficult to talk about but hopefully listening to us guys talk about it it makes it more accessible for them and they feel um, sort of happier addressing these sort of issues so if anyone wants to get in touch with us after the show at the Teach of tomorrow on instagram at tft pod on twitter um, and particularly i'd highly recommend following damien on on twitter at damien underscore page like i say if you want to jump on and comment by the, we're all, we're always online. Um, we're always active on there. So if you've got any feedback or any 
anything when it comes out, that'd be great. Um, but from my perspective, Damien, thanks so much for taking the time to come on. I've learned a lot just from this conversation and I know I'll be going away uh, doing my research and things like that on certain subjects and hopefully you'll be doing the same. So um, from my perspective, Damien, absolute pleasure to get you on, mate. Just following up from Matty, really, honestly, such a good insight, especially from you being at the, at the top of a university, really, and just like discussing really like the problems within universities and education, like wider inclusion, really. And I just think, like Matt said, it's really important that we actually have these discussions. So like maybe if people aren't aware, they are now a bit more aware and might think, oh, you know what, I might do a bit more reading on this or engage in more conversations. Because like you said, like, this is the way that we need to be as teachers when when, when we qualify essentially we, we have we have to be better for for the children that we teach we, and it's the only way that's going to make a better society so yeah honestly can't thank you enough for coming onto the podcast an absolute pleasure see you later to get in touch with us following the latest podcast episode head over to at the teachers of tomorrow on instagram or over on twitter via at tft pod